I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And as usual, well, as usual now, finally, after a summer's hiatus, I'm joined in the cockpit by co-pilot Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. Awesome Ward, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. It is always my pleasure to be on this show, the, the greatest Ohio State and college football podcast that I'm aware of. Thank you. I haven't gotten an award yet, but I'm looking forward to receiving it p- perhaps at a, a nice a dinner or luncheon. But I digress. I like how I get into like a monotone when I'm introducing you to. That's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that happens. It's just all natural. But, uh, you know, this is a uh, season is underway. Uh, Ohio State has a game under its belt, a come from be- a twice come from behind win at Minnesota, uh, winning comfortably finally 45 to 31. I'm not sure if things were ever comfortable in in the light rain and everything else that existed there that night. You were there, of course, but uh, now headed into this early season showdown with Oregon and uh, you know, Oregon coming off a uh, one touchdown win or at least a narrow victory over Fresno State also coming from behind. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they ever trailed in that game or not, to be honest with you. They took a lead. Whatever, but it was a it was a heck, heck of a close game for Oregon, and I've got a fellow coming on uh, who's going to we're going to talk in depth about Oregon. Jared Denny, he's part of that on 3com family. As I told him, I said you're kind of like a, a nephew or a cousin of mine based on that. But uh, <laughs> the on three network is quite expansive, right? Uh, right, awesome, and uh, we're going to take advantage of it on this podcast. Absolutely, we will, and it's uh, still growing. A lot more uh, in the works that we can't announce at this point, but uh, the, the Oregon folks will be out in full force on Saturday. Ivan Mazel is going to be in the building, also representing on three. So a lot of a lot of firepower, a lot of uh, a lot of brands under that umbrella that are going to be providing coverage of one of the biggest non-conference games of the season on Saturday in the Horseshoe. Yeah, not just brands, uh, but basically big-time icons. Ivan Mazel is an icon when it comes to uh, coverage of college football especially. But a uh, longtime friend of mine, looking forward to seeing him again. But, uh, of course, I digress. Uh, real quickly before I get to my conversation with Jared Denny, that's J-A-R-R-I-D, by the way, an interesting spelling. I didn't even get into that with him. But the <laughs> bottom line is, uh, uh, what, what is the one thing Ohio State's got to get straightened out and we're, we'll discuss it more in depth when we come back from my conversation with Jared. But what's that one thing that's glaring in your mind that Ohio State's got to get straightened out between uh, between the time we're recording this podcast and the showdown Saturday, September 11, in the shoot? Yeah, I think I think Ohio State needs to nail down who it wants to play at linebacker. And it, that just seems to be a position to me that is a little bit like linebacker, where the more you play it, the more uh, – comfortable you get, the more in the flow, uh, making reads, making the tackles, playing physically, you're going to be. Ohio State tried a lot of different guys at linebacker. They missed, uh, you know, some tackles, I think, that that they would like to have back, and, and that extended some Minnesota drives and then kept that high-powered Ohio State offense on the sideline more than, of course, it wanted to be. So, Taraja Mitchell, I thought he really – he played that game that we've been looking forward to for a long time. You know he's one of them. 
And then they work through three, four, five other guys at linebacker. Uh, you know, I think the makings of a really good unit are there, but against a team, you know, like Oregon that may have a little bit more explosiveness than Minnesota did, which that offensive line from Minnesota is really good. We've got to give them credit. Yes. And Mo, Mo Ibrahim is a fantastic running back. They created some things that gave Ohio State a challenge. So it's not solely an issue just for Ohio State. The, the opponent they played is good. But if you're talking about moving forward, winning a huge non-conference game, winning a national championship down the road, Ohio State will have to tackle better. Yeah, and it always helps the other team when you don't line up right. So uh, we'll talk about a few of those instances too, which uh, got to get straightened. You know, there were a lot of first game, uh, a lot of I'm not calling it rust. I mean, it was like they just opened the the box and were working uh, with new pieces uh, for this little model airplane they're building uh, on the defensive side. And I thought there were a few. Uh, slip-ups all across the board from uh, calls that were made to uh, the way guys – basic stuff, the way guys lined up, you know. and But that goes back to, you know, uh, what, 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 are the, what are the signals you're getting, et cetera, why were people confused a few times. We'll get into that uh, in, in a few moments. But uh, first, uh, let's go to my conversation with Jared Denny, beat writer for On3.com for the Oregon football program. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, I've reached out way, way out west to welcome welcome in my uh, guest this week, Jared Denny. Jared Denny, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. How is everything? Uh, everything's pretty good, man. The weather is weather has turned more fall like than the uh, the sweltering sweat box that was most of August. Uh, I don't know what it's like for you guys. You guys have been through similar kind of situations, right out there. Yeah, and we've got kind of the wildfire deal going on out here, so it's just kind of one big layer of smoke. Yeah, like you, right now. I like how you said kind of the wildfire thing going like that. You know, yeah, well, ho hum. But uh, that's been crazy out there. And I know you guys had some bad ones around that Eugene area for a while. You know, at, at one point. But uh, I just wanted to get into it, ladies and gentlemen. As I as I told you before, I got to Jared here. He covers the Oregon Ducks for on three dot com and. Part of uh, you know the LettermanRoad.com is part of that On3.com family. I guess we're sort of cousins in a way, right, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the way our the way we look here, I'm more I look more like your older uncle, and you're my <laughs> little nephew. But I digress, man. Hey, uh, uh, you've covered a lot of things, uh, in, in, you know, before you got into covering Oregon football. Give people a little bit of a, a background on you, so they can understand why uh, I turned to you for some expertise in this situation. Yeah, so I got my start covering Oregon football uh, back as a student journalist in 2015, kind of 15, 16, 17 range at the U of O. And for anybody who followed Oregon at that time, it was the end of the Mark Helfrich era, which ended in a disaster. And it was sort of more of a crime beat that year than it was a football beat with what was going on with the football program. Crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, um, from there, I, I had back-to-back internships with MLB.com and worked as a beat writer covering the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Minnesota Twins. So I made it made it out east a little bit and got close to you guys. Didn't quite get out there, but um, yeah, which is awesome. It was a great experience. And I love baseball, and that was that's always kind of been a dream of mine to cover a full baseball season. And it also sort of makes a college football season feel a lot less daunting yeah. when you're going kind of 162 games. But yeah, and then um, ended up covering Oregon State football um, the last couple of years and then um, just recently moved back home to Eugene and I'm covering the Ducks again and I couldn't be more excited. Man, you must have a you must have a minivan with all kinds of stuff <laughs> stuck in, including a little bed, right? I mean, is that where you sleep most of the time? Yeah, yeah just, just keep it on the road at all times. There you go, man, on the road again, ladies and gentlemen, with Jared Denny. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, obviously, Oregon escaped its opener with Fresno 
is it Fresno now or Fresno State still? What, 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 what did you call it? Yeah, Fresno State. Yeah, I know, man. They've played Ohio State a couple times uh, back in the day. But uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really, you know, I'm not giving Oregon any excuse right here, but it's really difficult when you play a team that has played a game before in an opener where you've got a first-year starting quarterback and uh, some other things you're trying to get, get, get squared away, maybe defensively, et cetera. But the funny thing is, Oregon was fast out of the gate and then slowed up, right, and let Fresno kind of make a game of it. But uh, just what was your take about the opener in a nutshell, uh, you know, I guess from your vantage point? I think there's a lot to be mildly concerned about. I also don't think I'm kind of sounding the alarm as – urgently as a lot of people in Eugene are. I think Fresno State's State's a better ball club than I think a lot of Oregon fans want to give them credit for. That's a a good program with a good coaching staff that's got them on the rise. They they have a great experienced, talented defensive line that sort of just gave Oregon fits, and maybe that'll be the case all season long. The jury's still out out on that offensive line if it's going to be good enough to kind of take the ducks where they want to go. But, I mean, you have to give some credit to Fresno State for just doing some things really well as well. And I think it was a whole different ballgame once Kayvon Thibodeau went down with an ankle injury and for the first quarter and a half there, you saw him kind of, uh, he had Jake Hayner, Fresno State's quarterback running for his life. And it looked like Hayner wasn't yeah. going to make, make it through the game with some of the hits that Thibodeau laid on him. And then a quarter and a half later, he's out and Oregon kind of looks like a whole different ball club, which is to be expected when you lose one of the two, three, four best players in the country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, as we record this, it's early in the week, obviously before Ohio State uh, hosts Oregon on Saturday at noon, Ohio State time, 9 a.m. Oregon time. But, of course, they started their game this past week with Fresno State at 11 a.m., so they're used to getting up early. But, you know, uh, what's just your take on Kayvon Thibodeau and his – and, uh, you know, the defensive end, the talented defensive end sophomore? What, what's your take on him uh, as far as his possible availability on Saturday versus Ohio State? Yeah, you got the feeling from Mario Cristobal yesterday that it it's not as – serious as it could have been in terms of and I mean I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that it's not going to keep him out of Ohio State but the fact that he went to the locker room came back and then uh, or I shouldn't say he went to the locker room he went to the medical tent got taped up came back played a couple drives and then ultimately um, came out of the locker room after halftime in, in street clothes and I think that's just a precaution to protect yeah. your superstar player in a game that they probably thought they could get by without him and it was closer than anybody would have liked but job well done on their part i think you have to protect him at all costs and make sure that he's going to be ready to play 80 snaps at ohio state yeah walking boot man covers uh covers quite the gamut i mean you know as you uh, you know you probably watched some of the ohio state game the other night and uh muhammad abraham abraham uh, minnesota's incredibly talented running back he was also in a walking boot at the end of the game but uh there was a fear that basically he has an achilles injury which is uh not exactly an ankle sprain if you follow my drift uh, right. uh, uh and, you know, I'm curious on Thibodeau, whether it's an ankle or a high ankle, you know, high ankle sprain and ankle sprain are two different animals. But, uh, you know, you just kind of pick up what you can anymore on, on injury reports. Isn't that right, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like every major program in the country, Mario Cristobal is not going to reveal a lot in terms of injuries. And I imagine KT is going to be at the top of the depth chart that gets released this week and everything will be full go and maybe hopefully we'll get some word closer to the end of the week on what his status is. But if I had to guess, he's going to do whatever he has to do to play this game a, because it's Oregon's most significant game of the season and B because it would be a really great tape for him as he's evaluated. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Ohio state's offensive line's coming off a real high. I mean, the way they kind of, you know, they've got just, uh, just 
a mountain. I call them the Blocking Hills, which is a key uh, kind of an homage to the Hocking Hills of uh, Ohio, Southeast Ohio. But uh, the way they played on Saturday night as that game progressed at Minnesota was, I think, obvious to everybody how how good that line can be down the road. They basically got four tackles starting in the four outside spots, uh, you know, flanking the center <laughs> and uh, have moved guys around to make room for, for example, a guy like Dewan Jones, six foot nine, 360, 370 pounds, who played pretty well the other night. And his first, you know, he started before, but this is his first start as a true starter, if you follow my drift there. And uh, it's hard to follow my drift sometimes. I'm kind of like a wildfire. I go from here to there. But, uh, but the bottom line is, I, I, yeah, everybody's looking forward to that matchup. How do they handle Kayvon Thibodeau projected down the road, possibly being a number one draft pick? You know, we'll see how that goes. But uh, he is that talented, isn't he? He's incredible. And the first interview I sort of had with him this year at Oregon's Media Day, one thing that stood out to me was I, I sort of asked him what a successful season looks like for him this year. It, he just said one word, perfection. Like he expects to be absolutely perfect this year. And he can <laughs> – kind of contextualize that by saying he wants to play 80 snaps a game. That's something he didn't do last year. He needs to be in the kind of 15 to 20 sack range, which I know it's hard to put tangible numbers on, on a season, especially when you have injuries like that pop up. But this is a guy who's absolutely determined to get every ounce that he can out of this season. And I think that the Ducks are going to do whatever they can to make sure that that happens. Yeah. You know, the Ducks got, uh, by the way, uh, I was going to, when you said Chris, Christo Ball should not be, should not be uh, uh, mistaken for injury crystal ball, right? So uh, I want to get that line. line out of there. But that was that was pretty good on my part. You agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neither should Ryan Day be be seen as uh, the daylight on on injuries either. But uh, that that was even worse of a pun. Uh, but they, you know, the Ducks got kind of banged up in and even before and during that game. I mean, Drew Mathis, uh, he looks like he may be out like right now. The uh, uh, what's just your take on him? I think he's out certainly for Ohio State and probably well beyond. Um, while Mario Cristobal doesn't usually tip his hand with a lot of injuries, one of his tells is if he says that somebody's banged up pretty good, which he did yesterday. He said that about Patrick Herbert, Oregon's talented tight end at the start of the year. And, yeah. um, it, that's, sort, that's sort of the giveaway that, hey, this is this is going to be a few weeks at least. And it, and it sucks because Drew Mathis is kind of one of the feel-good stories of the program, not, not a super highly – recruited guy. I mean, I mean a good prospect, but not one of these four or five star guys that we're going to coming in now, but somebody who's just worked his butt off to get to the top of the depth chart and is really, really respected in that locker room. So it's just a bummer to see him go down like that. And you hope for a speedy recovery. Yeah. I guess Oregon, Oregon now staying with the pun mobile, Oregon now just has to go with the flow, right? Justin flow. You like that one now, don't you? That was pretty good. I don't know where you're getting all these puns. I, don't, I just, they just come to me, man. Like, uh, you know, like uh, rain from heaven, but, uh, you know, talented, what, former five-star linebacker. You know, you were talking about him. You wrote about him in your uh, uh, your five observations from the game, five takeaways from that game the other night. And he did. I mean, if you watch the, you know, video, he, he had a he, – he was he was quite assertive in some – in some some cases maybe over-assertive and got a little bit away with it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 14 tackles, kind of taking up the slack there in the second half especially. Uh, you know, he did come to play, right? He was incredible yesterday, and he's, I think, the one player who Oregon fans were probably most excited to watch yesterday because he's the second highest recruit, ranked recruit in Oregon's history behind Kayvon Thibodeau, and now you have them both on the field at the same time. Yeah. He had a, a pretty gnarly knee injury that wiped out his true freshman season and 
worked like crazy to make it back. And I think there were some questions when him and Mathis were kind of an either or situation at the top of the depth chart, how kind of ready and healthy he was. And he steps in and makes 14 tackles and basically played every snap uh, of the second half. And t- talking to Cristobal afterwards, just, Justin Flo was a little dinged up too. He wasn't 100% healthy um, going into this game and he played through it. And it's just kind of one of those old school, do it all high octane linebackers that you don't see so much anymore. And I think one of the funnest things with him is just watching the energy that this kid plays with and kind of that contagious, infectious, um, just really, really exciting brand of play. You can, you can tell he just loves being out there and he loves being an Oregon Duck. Yeah. Yeah, he flies around. I mean, uh, uh, bottom line is, too, this is what I like about a player. You know, somebody make a play. You know, somebody make a play. He makes a play. That strip uh, there, what, midway, late late in the fourth quarter, which really changed the game, right? I mean, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact time frame, but that was somebody coming up, stepping up. And then, of course, Anthony Brown with a – I think with a nice pass to Johnny Johnson, the third, and then he follows up with that little, uh, I guess it was a zone read uh, keeper option keeper to the right side for the go ahead touchdown. Anthony Brown, we're talking about the quarterback. Uh, uh, you know, he had, he had a great start and then a fall off and then he stepped back up when, uh, when they needed it most and delivered a play. So it's kind of a weird take from that. Cause they, obviously everybody has room to improve, but, I would think the Ducks are feeling pretty good about the way the game ended in in the sense of taking control when they needed to. Yeah, I agree. And that's sort of one of the things I wrote a bit longer on yesterday was that sort of Anthony Brown wasn't, of course, he had an up and down day. That's pretty apparent if you look at his stat line, if you watch the tape, they're talking to him afterwards. There's a lot of throws that he would have liked to have had back and will probably ideally make in the future. But the Ducks ne- needed a pl- big play yesterday, and on fourth and two, he runs a, a perfectly executed option and does what they need to do. And you look around the Pac-12 North yesterday where the Ducks were the only team to end up with a win. There are a lot of schools that probably would have been happy to have somebody like Anthony Brown um, leading them through a situation like that. And that, that's not to say is the answer. I think I don't, I don't know that yet. I don't know if there's a lot of people who know what Oregon's quarterback situation is going to look like by the end of the year. I think we need a larger sample size yeah. with Anthony Brown and that offense. And I think that the offensive line was pretty bad yesterday, um, to be fair to him. And I think that that's something they're definitely going to have to shore up quickly. So it's, there aren't a lot of nuanced, balanced takes about Anthony Brown <laughs> floating around out there at the moment. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cries for uh, to get Ty Thompson, the really talented true freshman in there. But I think that's not happening anytime soon. If it was going to, you would have seen it happen yesterday. And they're certainly not going to throw Ty in there in, in Columbus um, on a whim. So it's Anthony Brown for better or worse right now. And I think that he and Oregon are both capable of playing a lot better than what folks saw yesterday. Yeah. I mean, is, is Clemson going to stick a st- step away from Ugalele, you know, after a really tough night, you know, right. when the offensive line couldn't block Georgia, but it was always, the, it's always the quarterback's fault. You know, you follow my drift. I mean, even Ohio state fans, I mean, quite a few on social media were calling for the, uh, removal of C.J. Stroud after only a quarter and a half as a first-time ever starter for the Buckeyes and put a pure freshman in there in Kyle McCord. That's what, you know, a lot of fans wanted. And, of course, all C.J. Stroud did was step up and deliver the most efficient, probably second half of quarterbacking in Ohio State history, uh, going, what, five out of eight for 230 yards and four touchdowns. Right. Of course, it helps when you got Chris Olave and and uh, Garrett Wilson playing for you to throw it to. But – uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, folks, give people, give these guys a little bit of time to just get their shoes tied, right? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I, I think there are some fair questions surrounding Anthony Brown, sort of uh, his overall arm talent and how kind of far he progresses through the route tree sometimes. But the guy's a, a really, really talented playmaker. He can do it through the air. He can do it with his feet. But again, I think Fresno State's a, a better front seven than people gave her credit for yesterday. And th- this is something you and I were talking about um, before we started recording, but Fresno State had played a game <laughs> a week earlier and yeah. Oregon hadn't. And it, who knows how much that actually plays into things, but it looked at times like Oregon just wasn't quite physically there on offense yesterday. And I think that's something where you just have to go out there and start hitting and get a game under your belt and <laughs> see how things go. Yeah, uh, as I always put it, no matter who you're playing, you know, you know the, the great programs are really good programs like Ohio State. They talk about iron sharpens iron, you know, during practices and things like that. But, but baby, when you go into a, an opener, you know, a conference opener like Ohio State did at Minnesota, you know, that's steel versus steel. You know what I mean? They've got their best guys out there going against you. And, uh, you know, and it, it does. I mean, so it's a, it's a rude awakening for guys who haven't played uh, haven't, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys hadn't even played yet, you know, in big time games and, uh, and uh, the speed of the game, the uh, exhaustion standpoint of uh, hyperventilating and stuff that steps in for, I think for anybody in those kind of situations, you know, and, and as Ryan Day said, all they wanted out of that game was a W and they got it, you know, and they ended up with a double, double digit W, but uh, it's really funny as you look at these two teams, what Ohio State did really well in that game seems to suit them on, where Oregon had some shortcomings, you know, uh, the offensive line having trouble against uh, Fresno's uh, basically veteran front, you know, and Ohio, State, Ohio State's offensive line for the most part played great. And then, and then throwing the ball, I mean, it looked like if you gave Hainer some time, there were some guys open, you know, so to, so to speak. Uh, uh, and so we'll see where that goes. I mean, Ohio State, of course, did not set the world on fire as a, as a defensive secondary the other night or defense. And you watch some of that game. Do you – do you see parts of Oregon that can take advantage of that if uh, if Anthony Brown gets some time and he and his arm does step up a little bit? <laughs> I think I think there definitely are parts that would play well into that. I think the play calling yesterday didn't necessarily lend into that. And again, it's week one, and you're sort of trying to get through it without um, showing your entire playbook. And I'm sure that there was a little yeah. bit of that with Oregon's offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead yesterday, but. It, it seemed like they were kind of hell-bent on running into a packed box and making it work, which has been one of the criticisms of um, Cristobal um, in his time here is that he really wants to be a, a hard-nosed, ground-and-pound sort of team, and it doesn't always necessarily play into the personnel that he has. And I think he he has that type of player now. He has a really big, physical, powerful offensive line, and there's times where it's still not working. So that's, that's sort of the knock on him at this point and something that's going to have to be answered this year. But and I'm sort of dancing around your question a little bit. But, no, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like guys who dance. Go ahead. <laughs> In reference to um, Ohio State Secondary, Oregon has a lot of talent in its receiver corps. They have three, four, five really good tight ends that I don't think anybody would be unhappy to see on the field this season. That They have a ton of weapons, and they just didn't really do much to take advantage of all of them yesterday. And maybe that's a little bit um, situational, a little bit of victim of circumstance, but – I'll be interested to see just how much they open up the playbook against Ohio state. Because like you said, there, there were times against Minnesota where, I mean, it's not disastrous, but it looked like when, if you were playing a good kind of balanced passing attack, um, there are things that can be exploited that I think Oregon will probably look to exploit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's why they pay those guys. That's why those assistant coaches and head coaches get so much damn money now, Jared, you know, don't you think, don't you wish that filtered down to the media? I should be going to you, man. Yeah, let's name, image, and likeness, man. Let's take advantage of it. But, 
Hey, real quick, I just want to get into, you know, you talked about the uh, the the Pac-12 had a tough day. Uh, you know, the division Oregon's in had a tough day <laughs> on Saturday. Are you fired up about this alliance, man? What's this, what's this alliance going to do for college football? Uh, I'm excited to find out more about it so I can know yeah. I should be excited about it. There's, there's just nothing on it so far. And these game contracts run a decade in advance, and it just sounds like nothing's budging until then. Maybe something changes. But, I'm, I mean, it's great just for the breaking up the SEC of it all. But um, yeah. I, I'm I don't think we're going to know a whole lot for another 12 to 24 months. So I'm trying to temper expectations on what it actually means. Don't you think it, don't you think it means that if the SEC uh, puts forth, Hey, let's have 110 players on scholarship that this, they're going to have a voting block that says, no, let's don't do that. I mean, you know, it's, I'm, I'm trying to get past, you know, yeah. Scheduling allows, but like you said, in football schedules, they're, they're a game scheduled 10 years from now, in a lot of places. And uh, you know, how are you going to, change up all that. And, you know, as they said, they're going to honor all those contracts, but heck I've seen teams drop, drop games, you know, two, three years before, sometimes a year before, because they just don't want to play that game or whatever the reason is. So yeah, I'm as curious as you are about the Alliance, you know, it's like the Confederacy, whatever you want to call it, the Confederation against the, the death star, which is the sec, but I digress. Uh, uh, these teams didn't play last year. Most everybody, including myself, I was looking forward to taking my first trip ever to Eugene. I've been to Washington three or four times. Uh, bottom line is, you know, they at least salvaged this game out of this uh, contract. But, uh, you know, how big a game is this for Oregon uh, in a nutshell? I know that's kind of being tried a little bit. But, uh, you know, this is this a measuring stick for Mario Cristobal? How, how, how are people looking at it from out there? I think it's a huge measuring stick, and I think it's a, as big of a game as they've had since LSU some nine, ten years ago. I think my math might be off a little bit there, but I mean, maybe Auburn in 2019 was, I don't think it was this big of a deal, or, um, but sort of going back to what you said, this is a measuring stick for Mario Cristobal. This is, these are the programs that he expects Oregon to be competing with, and the way they've recruited, they should be competing with them. Um, I think that it's going to be very telling this week on sort of the state of the program. And I know that the lines just came out and it's not exactly favorable for Oregon, no. and, but it, I think that I don't, I don't actually have a bold prediction ready for you as to what Oregon's going to go out and do, but I think, I think they're certainly going to be better than what they were yesterday. And for that to happen, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau does have to be fully healthy and, I guess that's a little bit left up in the air, but there are some things that Oregon did, did do really well, especially on the defensive side of things yesterday that I think leads me to believe that they're going to be all right. I don't know if they escape with a win, but it's not going to be the disaster that a lot of people on Twitter are sort of predicting it to be already. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm not looking for a prediction for you, you know, early in the week. Uh, I, I'm just interested, you know, like you just pointed point out, these are the games why you recruit a Kayvon Thibodeau they make a difference in games like these, you know, and uh, you know, that that's why it was interesting to watch Anthony Brown kind of step up when it was needed. Like I said, against Fresno state and, you know, like Brandon Dorless, you know, had a huge, huge play in that game also, you know, kind of stepping up for, you know, not necessarily for Kayvon Thibodeau, but for that front, you know, they got, they got, they got the Hainer, the uh, Fresno state quarterback when they needed to, to make a play and kind of flip that game a little bit. So, you know, it, it is interesting. I just, I just always wonder, you know, you saw Ohio State versus Oregon in the uh, in the uh, 2009 season, the the uh, Rose Bowl that followed 2010, 
And of course, everybody remembers the 2014, uh, the first college football playoff uh, national championship game. 2000 it was played in 2015 in Dallas, but uh, 2014 season. And I'm just wondering if there's like a, I don't know if uh, if uh, or if Ohio State's kind of stuck in Oregon fans' crawl about being right there. Those would have been two major victories, obviously. Obviously, for that program, it didn't get done. And uh, do, do you sense there is a hangover from those, especially that last game? There sort of is. And um, I, I just am remembering back to the night of that Ohio State-Oregon game and just sort of – it was as melancholy as I've ever seen Eugene. I was still a student at that point. You go down to campus in 13th Avenue where kind of all the campus bars are at. It was just depressing. It's not like there were couches on fires or anybody – freaking out or doing kind of the normal like angry post game thing like people were just sad and bummed and sort of it sort of felt like Oregon had fallen flat on its face when it had kind of the biggest chance of program history so I think there is sort of still that stigma towards Ohio State and I think that this team has to be honest a really good chance right now to erase that and Mm -hmm. sort of establish itself as a program that's ready to play with the big boys and um, you mentioned it the Pac-12 North looked absolutely horrendous yesterday (laughs) there was a, a terrible day for the conference. Washington's a t- top 20 team. They lost to Montana. Like it's not the, the Pac-12 quite frankly sort of needs Oregon to put on a good show next weekend. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It will really will be a little bit of a referendum for the Pac-12, especially Pac-12 North, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you hate to say that that's the way things are, but I mean, you know, you watch Clemson, Georgia, that was a huge game, man, <laughs> early in the season. Now Clemson pretty much doesn't play anybody, you know? So, um, uh, you know, they, they still say all their goals are in front of them because, of course, they do. Debo, would, Debo Swinney would say that. But an early season loss just sets the tone still in this four-team four uh, playoff era. And uh, I'm just uh, curious from your standpoint, what is the perception right now from the West Coast side of things on where the power does lie in major college football? I mean, just give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that the the West Coast can kind of be a blind spot every once in a while because you get so tunnel visioned into the Pac-12 after dark thing. And um, for the people who don't necessarily see the super early kicks, um, I think that you guys, Ohio State, are obviously one of the more well-respected programs out here. Uh, but I grew up with a bunch of Ohio State fans um, <laughs> who, are, who have never probably gone east of the Rockies, but have just been obsessed with the Buckeyes since they were kids. Like it's a national brand. And yeah. you look at the Clemsons, the Alabamas, it, I think that definitely reverberates out here. And, and it hurts that USC has been kind of a sleeping giant for a few years now. The Pac-12 needs them to be good and be recruiting well and be playing in big games on a year-to-year basis. And until that happens, I think there's going to be sort of an image issue with the Pac-12 and Oregon does does a fine job of closing that gap, but it would be really, really helpful if there were two prolific um, kind of top 10, top five um, continual, contending programs out here on a consistent basis, and there's just not at the moment. And it's, yeah. it's a huge issue. Yeah, it is funny because Oregon carried the weight. They were the pack mule of the, of the Pac-12, you know, pardon that pun, for a while there, you know. But you, you like you said, you need you need these other guys – to, re, to reassert themselves, well, not the least of whom is USC, just a re- traditional big-time program. Hey, well, last thing, um, what, what, is your, what is your take on the Pac-12 this year as you sit here? I mean, no matter what happens on Saturday in Ohio Stadium, game time at uh, 12 noon uh, Eastern Daylight Time, 9 a.m. Oregon time. Of course, that game uh, this past week with Fresno State started at 11 a.m., your, your local time, right? So what, was that done, you think, to kind of help Oregon uh, – 
uh, prepare for the jet lag? What was you, what you take, man? <laughs> no, I think that's a good way to look at it. And I think it's, I think that now that Larry Scott is finally out of office in the Pac-12, yeah. there's a lot of reshaping around not just cramming all your um, kind of prominent games after dark and making sure that East Coast viewers get a chance to view your product. And it's, I think I've said this a few times already, the Pac-12 has had a t- terrible branding issue the last few years. And a lot of it falls on Larry Scott just making some like, quite frankly, unconceivable head scratching decisions that have led to um, not just Oregon, but I mean, there's been good teams. Arizona state was one of the better teams in conference last year. I don't remember watching them play a game before dark at all last season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's just really poor in my opinion. Um, And I think that's something that you're going to see going forward is Oregon or not Oregon, the PAC 12 in general, just making more of the opportunities it has to turn itself into a national brand and, make sure that it's not just that other conference out there on the left side of the country. That's like, Oh yeah. Like maybe Oregon's good, but we don't really know anything about them. You know what I mean? Yes. I know exactly what you mean. And it, it is tough, man. Uh, uh, the time difference is what it is, you know? And uh, so, I mean, I've always admired Oregon, you know, the way they got their act together and came up, you know, they've had pretty good coaches, you know, for the most part, you know, the, sitting in on, along that, not the least of whom was Chip Kelly, who really, reasserted them on the map, you know, and of course, uh, Phil Knight's always helped. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Chip looked, Chip, as you say, they, they looked dialed in yesterday. They, oh yeah. They finally got a quarterback and they, uh, you know, um, that they feel comfortable with and a running back from, from Michigan. That just tells you what's going on in Michigan. You know, they got so many good players. Those guys are leaving. No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> hey, we'll be interesting to see if Washington loses to two teams in a row that, uh, the, the, uh, the name starts with an M, right? I mean, uh, this is a major, major weekend for Washington football, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine covering that beat today? It, I was scrolling through some of the coverage of it, and it looked like an absolute dumpster fire. Um, I, I can't – I mean, there's a lot of sort of schadenfreude going on in our comment section right now of people who are really excited to see Washington fail. And I suppose as a Duck fan, like, that, it's, it's obviously fun to a certain extent, but also, like – they were supposed to be a top 20 team. They were supposed to be a, a game that was circled on Oregon's calendar for that. This is a chance for us to showcase ourselves against a really, a really quality program. And they fell flat on their face against Montana and are probably going to be looking for, at some coaching staff changes at some point throughout the year. And yeah, it, it, it's enjoyable for duck fans to see your direct rival um, play terribly in their opener, but it, I think it hurts the conference. And quite frankly, it's, it's a really bad look. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, you're coming on Saturday, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken. You're coming to Ohio State, right? Yes, sir. Uh, you, have you ever been to Ohio Stadium? I have not. What have you heard? What have you heard that intrigues you about Ohio Stadium or about the atmosphere in an Ohio State game that you're interested? And in, in, in looks like they're going to have a packed house, you know, uh, unless the Delta variant really goes crazy. But uh, what is your what? Are, what are you most interested in? Because you know, at heart, you know. We sports writers are, are fans, not necessarily the teams you cover, but of sports and stuff. But what, what, are you, what's, what are you most curious about, about Ohio Stadium and Ohio State? I'm curious to see an actual giant pack historic college football stadium, because while Autzen, I, I think, is a terrific venue, one, one of the funnest places in the country to watch a college football game, it's a lot smaller um, kind of attendance-wise than yeah. any any of the major stadiums that it, it sort of um, is lumped in with reputation-wise. So I'm looking forward to just sort of being in an atmosphere that has that same energy that Austin has, but is damn near twice as big. It's going to yeah. be inc- incredible. 
it basically is almost twice as big. You're exactly right. I was like the game the other night at, at a really nice stadium that Minnesota has built there, Huntington Bank Stadium. It's basically half the size of Ohio Stadium, which is crazy. But at least it's a horseshoe. <laughs> hey, one last thing. Uh, who are you most curious to watch live on the Ohio State side uh, uh, of things? I mean, what's a, who's a player that you definitely are curious to just see perform live? It, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but it's sort of the reason that you asked me the same sort of questions about Anthony Brown. I want to see CJ Stroud live and sort of see how dynamic he is and, and see if some of the kind of nits that people have had to pick after his first performance are really as um, apparent as they've been hyped up to be. And maybe my eyes wander a little more to quarterbacks every once in a while than yeah. they should, but it, I just, I think he's a fascinating player to follow and somebody who, like you said, he played incredible in the second half the other night. He's just getting roasted alive on Twitter and I can't understand it. So yeah. I, I really want to see how he handles what I think is a pretty darn good um, Oregon pass rush that even if, even if Thibodeau's out or limited, Brandon Dorless was incredible yesterday. Um, yeah. J- Justin Flo, game-winning play on defense and somebody who's definitely going to rise to the occasion. So I, I want to see Stroud against what I believe is a, a legitimate top five front seven. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, you know, CJ Stroud was the elite 11 MVP two years ago. You know, he's not, he's the first starting quarterback ever from Rancho Cucamonga, California. You know, I wanted to ask the, this other thing that just, Came to me. Any sour grapes out there with uh, Oregon fans that uh, JT Tui Moloow picked Ohio State finally in the final analysis? Because obviously, I mean, he played extensively the other night uh, at at uh, at Minnesota as a freshman. He was only been on campus for two months, you know. And uh, I, I know that I know I'm not sure how legitimate ho- hopes were, but there were there were hopes that he would would pick Oregon. But you, you know, that's what a small world it is anymore. Is all these fan bases know all these other guys, right? Yeah, and um, there were less sour grapes when he committed than I definitely thought there would be. It was it was a lot less of a volatile reaction. I think that's maybe because, and I mean, you guys did such a good job covering his recruiting, and um, it became pretty apparent that Ohio State was sort of the favorite. But, yeah. I mean, obviously, Oregon would have killed to have a guy like that, and it would have been terrific. But I think the fact that, Oregon fans are in a position where they can be disappointed that they're not getting a guy like that. Whereas 10, 20 years ago, you're feeling lucky to be in the top 20 of a player like that. Like exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a whole different world of football in Eugene right now than it was even a decade and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and his coach in high school was a player at Washington university of Washington. He got a little bit of grief from his, from his uh, former teammates and stuff. He told me, but uh, bottom line is Ohio state's got a Mika Buka kid from right there in the Seattle area, a wide receiver who they really like, didn't really didn't get to catch a pass or anything the other night, but they really like him. And then JT2 Molowal, boy, how much could Washington use those guys right now, right? Uh in, in this Montana, uh in this Montana hangover. <laughs> right. Um and the fact that I mean Ohio State's going into the Northwest where there's not necessarily it, it's a little better in Washington in the state of Washington than it is in Oregon, but there's not a ton of four and five star talents. Uh, coming out of here every year so when yeah. you let when you let one of them sort of out of your own backyard it's it's a really um, bad indictment um it's it's happened to Oregon a few times there's been a few four or five star guys who have headed elsewhere but I think Mario Cristobal's done a really good job of putting up a fence in Oregon and making sure that the players who should be playing at Oregon are playing at Oregon and the fact that Washington um, hasn't been capable of doing that in, in the Jimmy Lake era I think is pretty damning 
yeah, pretty damning is the right word. And we're not talking about a river. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jared Denny, thanks for joining the Tim May podcast, man. I hope you had a good time. I did. And uh, it's uh, good to welcome in what, like I said, uh, uh, a, what, a, a second cousin from the on3.com uh, family. Absolutely. I look forward to meeting y'all uh, next weekend or end of this week. Ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, Jared Denny. Yeah, I appreciate Jared Denny coming on the uh, Tim May podcast, uh, part of that on3.com family. Uh, he does a pretty good job. Don't you agree? Pretty good. Does a good job. Don't you agree? Awesome. Great job. That's why uh, why they acquired him. Yeah, I mean, I'm so used to people asking me on radio shows everything to give grades, you know, on the Buckeyes and stuff. And <laughs> I don't know if PG pretty good is a grade or good. You know, we'll see. Uh, hey, real quickly before we get into it. Uh, uh... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, Oregon, you know, exposed itself a little bit in that game. I mean, losing Kayvon Thibodeau, their preseason All-American defensive end who went out was a was creating havoc until he went out with an ankle sprain, came back in and and then had to leave again and and left the uh, spent the sideline spent the second half on the sidelines in in his uh, basically his street clothes with a boot on his ankle and or his you know legs not his on his ankle but uh, but the bottom line is his his availability for this week is still up in the air as we uh, as we conduct this uh, podcast uh, but it was clear they lost a spark when he left the game right. Yeah, he's he's one of the few players that you look at on that Oregon roster, or I do. So, well, that guy could play at Ohio State, and that's uh, the highest compliment really you can pay to anyone in the country when you look at the recruiting rankings and the production and everything that's going on. With if you could play at Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia, uh, Clemson, all right, uh, then you you've got to be part of the plans for somebody that's going to try and crash the college football playoff party. Yeah, Oregon, from my estimation, from what what we've seen even in years past and even over the weekend, they're still a little bit short on that. If you're trying to win uh, in the trenches, which you still have to in college football, um, you know, to match that physicality of what Ohio State can provide, he's one of the few that I could see who could, who could really do that. Now, we'll see on Saturday if they can elevate their game, but I think just walking off the bus, uh, he's the one that you would you draw your attention to. And there aren't a lot of other guys on that Oregon roster that I saw that's like, all right, well, they can maybe go toe-to-toe with Ohio State. I just – I think back to the same thing when we saw them in 2014 uh, against Ohio State in these two programs, the national title game. Even when Oregon was at the you know peak of their powers, if you want to put it that way, there was still a noted physical difference between those two programs when they got on the field. And if you take him out of the mix for the Ducks on Saturday, I think that would be a major problem. Yeah. A guy who really stepped up for them, though, was a former five-star recruit, Justin Flo, you know, got injured last year. During that abbreviated season, but uh, linebacker, he made some plays of what led them in tackles in that game against uh, Fresno State. So, you know, keep your eye on him. But like you said, across the board, just observationally, uh, uh, I agree with everything, with most of everything you just said. You know, they uh, they just happened to make some plays at the end of the at the end of the game to really preserve it. And uh, bottom line is. Anthony Brown, I think the jury's still out on him as their quarterback. You know, Oregon's supposed to have the beefiest uh, 
maybe most physical offensive line it's ever had. You know, as you like you're talking about going back to 2014, going back to 2009 when Ohio State played them in the Rose Bowl, that seemed to be the big difference between those two teams was the size of the offensive and defensive lines in comparison. Now, Oregon's got maybe its largest defensive offensive line in history, but had a lot of trouble protecting Anthony Brown against a good, but not on the same level. I don't think front four from Fresno State is Ohio State's going to throw at them. And that could be a real difference in this game. Agreed? Yeah. And I think that to go back to our previous conversation, Tim, Minnesota's offensive line was really good. And Ohio State's front seven that we were hoping to find out a lot more about them, you know, they almost played even in that regard. They made the one huge uh, critical flash play from Zach Harrison, got the touchdown to the Haskell Garrett, but there wasn't a ton of pressure. Uh, you know, they had to play a lot uh, against the rush. Uh, I think that maybe also added to some of the different sub packages and the, and the personnel that was used throughout that game as it went along. But um, I think that was a, a good early test for Ohio State because Minnesota, man, I, I, Tim, I'm pretty curious what would have happened if, if Ibrahim had stayed healthy all year. That was a team that I thought yeah. had the pieces maybe to contend in the West. Maybe they still will uh, as long as that offensive line is healthy. And, and then when they're not playing Ohio State uh, on a weekly basis, we'll see what transpires from there. But uh, I think the, the point is I would have thought that Oregon's offensive line would have been, you know, a really good test for Ohio State as well. I'm not sure that that's going to be quite the case, at least compared to what they just faced against Minnesota. Yeah, you know, I, you know, you you kind of you're tentative to really say some things, but I agree with you. Just basically, I watched uh, m- almost all of the Oregon Fresno Fresno State game, and uh, you know, maybe as the old saying goes, you get the biggest uh, jump is from week one to week two, and I think Oregon needs to get that right. on both sides of the ball. To be honest with you. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Oh, man, what a shame to see Ibrahim go out of that game the way he did and uh, lose his season probably. I mean, it's just uh, you, I never like to see that with anybody, uh, especially the elite players who are really, you know, this whole, this whole name, image, and likeness, this whole reason why you think players should be paid, it really goes to those star guys who really bring you – bring your eyeballs to a game or bring your feet to a game, you know, to sit in the stands to watch. And it's really a shame to see. And plus Minnesota, you know, as I've pointed out to to people since that game, the the beauty, uh, if that's what you want to call it, of Ohio State football right now and Alabama football is you lose a a player like that, you have another guy coming along who can plug in is probably almost as good, if not as good, you know, and uh, the, the, the bus keeps rolling unless you go three or four deep. And that's why it's a shame. With that said, you know, before we get into some of the things I I didn't like that Ohio State definitely needs to improve, my goodness, my man, (laughs) Mayan Williams, as as you and I both agreed, I mean, I thought they would go with Master Teague the third only because of the, you know, the the hierarchy, the senior, the deserving, the coming back guy as a starter. But Mayan Williams was number one when we saw them in preseason camp that first time when they ran out there, and he was number one uh, as at the running back when they started the game, and boom, uh, <laughs> he showed why he's number one. I'm not sure anybody thought he was number one because he was a great sprinter, but uh, <laughs> what a run, right, to just cement the fact of the uh, confidence that uh, Tony Alford and uh, Ryan Day have in this young man. Yeah, incredible speed. You know, I, I, somebody asked me about that a week or two ago. Like, I don't know about Mayan Williams as the top back because – he doesn't have that, that acceleration. Speed. That yeah. 
I'm not sure. Did you not see uh, those runs against Northwestern and Clemson? Like they weren't huge home runs. They didn't take them the distance, but man, yeah. uh, a guy who can see a hole, hit it, and not, not look back. He's got plenty of speed to pull away from guys as he showed on that rush. Um, he was a little bit funny talking about it after the game, Tim, where he's saying, well, I think I was, I think I went the wrong way. And I think people misinterpreted it a little bit. Like that play wasn't designed to go left. Yes. I think right. Correct. He, he, you know, could have cut it inside. We saw JK Dobbins make that play a thousand times in his career, but he had an opening to the outside. There were no defenders there. He saw green grass and he took it and exploded and didn't look back. So that's the part, uh, you know, that you go through a training camp and all that. So you don't know. Yeah. Are you going to make those plays when it's live and when it counts? Mine Williams had to do that. Now, I think what you're building up to here, Tim, is that then he didn't just didn't get another carry until late in the first half. And like Ohio State had a script and I don't think it wanted to move off of it when it really should have after the time of possession got weird and wonky. Um, I think we've seen enough from Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson after just one game to know that they're different than Master Teague. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. yeah. Ohio State's rushing attack needs to rely on those two guys and probably those two guys alone. Yeah. You know, and the truth in advertising, you know, we've been saying that all along. They are not, I mean, Master Teague is not the same kind of back as Travion Henderson. Right. And as we know now, as Mayan Williams, I mean, I think, like I've, like I've told people, you know, we had you, uh, I was on guest host with Bo Bishop on Friday morning. And uh, we talked about this, you know, I think might may have been while you were on, you know, we had you on as a guest and uh, I, I was a guest host having you on as a guest, wrap your head around that. But, but the bottom line is sometimes you, you know, as coaches, et cetera, you want everybody to see the reality, you know, and then there's no questions, you know, inside the locker room, outside the locker room, outside the premises. And I think everybody saw, number one, why Mayan Williams is held in such high esteem by Tony Alford and by, by, by Travion Henderson. Even my wife, my wife said that was just uh, breathtaking the way he caught that little swing and got yeah. a block from Ruckert and just exploded. I mean, those are things you kind of can't coach. I mean, that acceleration uh, to daylight. And not that they were – either one of those guys are the two fastest guys on the team – but to that acceleration, that instant burst you get that sets guys apart. And I agree with you there. Speaking of uh, knee-jerk reactions and stuff, how about the hue and cry from the social media realm after C.J. Stroud's first half as a starting quarterback? Uh, get Cal McCord in there. Get Cal McCord in there. I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please show some patience. I mean – I think when a guy goes five out, I think it was five out of eight for 230 yards and four touchdowns in the second half passing, I think he proved he was a quick learner, got his feet under him, and had one of the great halves, maybe the greatest single half of a starting quarterback, first-time starting quarterback in Ohio State history. What do you think? I don't know how many times Brian Day needed to say that quarterbacks have to learn through failure, setbacks, difficulty, adversity. He's been saying it for three years, but he said it specifically with a first-time starter just about every single day that he's talked, dating back to March for this season. <laughs> there were always going to be growing pains. Ohio State was always going to be patient working through them. And, it, you know, I guess I'm not surprised because it's still, you know, uh, when you're a passionate fan and you, you want things to go smoothly right away, that you would make that um, – you'd be frustrated. I guess Ohio State was frustrated too, but – 
they weren't going to abandon uh, all this time and effort that's been invested in C.J. Stroud when you know what the upside can be. And he deserves a ton of credit. I, I said it over and over to you when you were talking about the, the radio last week. On the rain, or in the rain, on the road, against a Big Ten opponent in your first start. Those are four difficult things, and it wouldn't have been any easier for Kyle McCord or Jack Miller, especially since they haven't been taking the first team reps. C.J. Stroud is a damn good quarterback. The second half showed it. Now you get to get better because you're not going to have first game nerves anymore. Probably going to be nice and dry on Saturday. Not every game is going to be perfect weather conditions, but everybody has to go through that for the first time. And Ohio State found things that worked. Yeah, uh, throwing a screen out to Travion Henderson and let him go 70 yards is, a, is easier. Uh, but guess what? Garrett Wilson is going to be open in every other game for the rest of the year. I'm still a good deep ball in stride for a touchdown. Chris Olave is still going to run really good routes and make plays after the catch. Okay, that's great. C.J. Stroud doesn't have to have zero yards after catch for the rest of the year. That's not how Ohio State's offense is built. He did the things that Ohio State needed him to do, and I think it was tough. Quincy Avery, one of the quarterback uh, gurus who works with C.J. Stroud, made this point as well. It's really hard. If that's your first start and all those other factors that I mentioned and you start poorly, to have the mental strength, to respond to that and play play really well after to bounce back and and handle that well and compartmentalize, that was the most. I think Ryan Day will leave that game saying that's what matters more than anything else. He already knew they had physical skills to play the position, yeah. But now he mentally responded to a situation that wasn't ideal. You know, you know what it reminded me of because I tweeted at halftime. I said they need to get the running game, get back to the running game, uh, get it going because it, they had some pretty good success with that off and on in the first half and get Chris Olave involved. I felt like a genius after that first drive after the second half. But it reminded me of, like, a guy getting a new sports car. You know, I'm talking about uh, C.J. Stroud, and he's driving. And first you get on the gas a little bit too hard. Sometimes you can spin out. You know, a lot of guys crash their sports cars leaving the lot, you know, <laughs> driving them home for the first time. Uh, but then you figure out what all the buttons, you know, Hey, let's turn this to sport. What does sport meaning Chris Olave? Throw the ball to that guy and Garrett Wilson. You know, let them do the let them do the dirty work. Uh, give the ball to Travion Henderson. Give the ball to Mayan Williams. Let them do the dirty work. You saw him learning how to drive that car as the game went on, and it was second half was an impressive performance by an offense that looked at times lost and a little bit, not inept is not the right word, but struggling to figure out what it was all about. And like you said, there was no doubt that Ryan Day and his coaches were trying different things, different personnel, uh, just to see what worked on that car, you know? I don't think they figured it out in the second half. And if anybody watched that Oregon uh, Fresno State game, if you can give C.J. Stroud some time on Saturday against Oregon, there are going to be opportunities in the passing game. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, and I think that that will be the case uh, for Ohio State, no matter who they play. This, this We already have talked about this over and over, and Tim, you wrote about it again last week, that this Ohio State offense is just generally generationally talented and gifted and could do whatever it wanted. Yeah. Uh, I think there was probably an element for an opener, um, at least when it comes especially to guys who may have been hurt hold them out, Cam Brown, seven banks coming to mind there, that Ohio State knew at some point it would be able to exert its will offensively and do whatever it wanted, which it did. And I think that will continue to be the case because that offensive line is incredibly, uh, incredibly talented. 
Um, that was without Harry Miller in the opener and Luke Whipler going out there. Another guy, maybe we haven't talked about it as much as we should, yeah. but a first start on the road in the rain for a center is no, no case of uh, no cakewalk either. Um, those four guys with him, Dewan Jones was a monster. Paris Johnson was destroying people with pancakes, taking them all the way to the sideline a couple times. Uh, it looked like, looked like his high school film, to be honest with you, the yes. way that he was driving people out there, <laughs> you know, know what you're going to get from Thayer Munford and, and Nicholas Petit for fair, man, just it's, I'm not even talking about the skill players. The offensive line is so good, it's going to let it's going to keep CJ Stroud in positions to succeed all year, I think. Yeah. A lot of people thought they were teasing about that when we first saw that lineup, that offensive line. But every time we got to watch a little bit of practice, same group was out there. And then boom, you know, and, you know, let's face it, there was a battle between Harry Miller and Luke Whippler for that starting job at center. Uh, in the preseason anyway. I mean, they really like Luke Whippler. And with the exception of a couple of snaps that went off his inside leg, you know, I mean, you're doing a lot of things there at center. Number one, you're trying to get a perfect little uh, pistol shotgun type snap back, but also you got to reach over here for a guy that's uh, in the gap. I mean, things like that. A lot of things went on. We all remember Harry Miller uh, was at Michigan State when Justin yeah. Fields showed, showed his shortstop capabilities by saving a lot of plays in that game. That should have gotten him. Heisman Trophy recognition, just the way he saved that game uh, from some bad snaps and things. But I digress. I'm reaching way too back and too far back in the past. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, let's get to the the meat and potatoes, though. That you know, a lot of people left there with questions, and I think they're legitimate questions defensively. Uh, it's funny. Uh, you watch Denzel Burke play start at that uh, one corner. He got better as the game went on in, in terms of confidence and stuff. We all know sometimes it takes a full year for a guy to feel that confidence at cornerback, no matter how good gifted they are. Uh, so Ryan Watts have a few problems, but he got better, maybe a little over aggressive at times. Uh, but starting for Cam Brown and Seven Banks, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see those guys be the same two starting corners this week, except now they have a, a full game under them. I mean, Denzel Burke, you can see the potential right in that young man. Yeah, Burke, Burke was going like this uh, yes. throughout the game. You could tell guy had a great camp like it's not he wasn't even the highest profile of these dbs corners that ohio state's re recruited recently but he's certainly had some of the most positive things said about him got that black stripe off pretty quickly um and, and like that's that's a hard ass to go out there and be perfect for a full game for any quarterback cornerback no matter how good they are but especially when you're making your starting debut as a true freshman that was uh pretty pretty flashy what he did you know, Ryan Watts, I think it was up and down. Um, you yeah. could see a little bit more comfort as that went along. I, I expected a little bit more from him. I thought it, uh, for a first-choice lineup that Ryan Watts would be the third cornerback, uh, uh, the guy off the bench to help Cam Brown and Seven Banks. That may not be the case anymore after what Denzel Burke has showed. Uh, I, I'll take uh, an opportunity here to say Demario McCall handled himself much better than I would have imagined. Yes. Um, not, uh, not great. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly effective when out there and makes you wonder if that uh, just should have been a move uh, a long time in the making. There's nothing you can do about it now, but um, pressing him into action the way that he was in that game, he deserves credit for what he's done. Uh, I'm not really that concerned about the secondary for Ohio State. Um, yeah, I think once you add those two starting cornerbacks back in there, uh, you know, that's the crazy part is that Kerry Combs now going into – this is his second year. It's just one week, but he's still not ever had one time where he could just say, these are the starting cornerbacks. These are the starting safeties. Here's the secondary. We're going to go do it. He still had, even to start this year, still had to go P 
piece some things together with a couple first-time starters. Uh, the other part that will be important this week is Josh Proctor's shoulder. I believe that there's not going to be any sort of long-term issue there for him. Yeah. Um, I'm told that it's just a little bit of soreness, and they think that uh, he and Brown and Banks sh- could, should be available on Saturday. We'll, we'll have to wait to know for sure. Uh, as the week progresses and the doctors and everybody trainers get to look at that. But I think that all three should be close or ready by Saturday. You know who else I liked in that game? I mean, just, and he started, uh, but I, I really liked the way he played was Ronnie Hickman. Number Ooh, yeah. 15. I mean, that, that young man, and you could see him getting better as the game went on more, more confident, more, uh, you know, stick his nose in there. Kind of like, you know, the kind of guy you want, I think at that spot. And uh, uh, we'll see where that's, where that, thing goes what bothered me uh, uh awesome was a couple of three plays where they clearly did not line up correctly uh you know i mean totally basically unsound a couple of in fact on one of them was a, i think ended up being a minnesota touchdown over the right side uh where you had uh, you had a couple of defensive linemen there but no linebackers uh every linebacker appeared to be left of center on that play and we, you know, we'll be asking more about that i'm only bringing that up because what bothered me was not that they lined up like that, but that a timeout was not called before the snap. You know, some some frantic coach running to the uh, head linesman going, yeah. you know, it didn't happen. Right. And uh, uh, that that bothered me more than the fact that, the you know, that they ended up running the play and it was a touchdown because, well, when you see that from the press box, you got to let somebody know. Hey, I, you know, I think you could have seen that from the sidelines. But this, yeah. that was first game. First game situations with new players, you know, uh, with linebackers who are trained at every position, uh, if you follow my drip, and sometimes maybe they forget, hey, I'm the Will on this one, or I'm the Sam on this one, you know, uh, and it that's what it looked like, uh, because there's no way, no way you have a defense designed like that, that lets a guy run 30 yards before he gets hit, but I digress, uh, were there any other troubling parts about that, that, you know, I mean, Am I off my rocker there a little bit? I mean, those are things you got to get fixed uh, as the season goes on, obviously. Yeah, and I, again, I think that that comes down to Ohio State playing too much depth or doing too much experimenting or however however you want to look at it. I think they played too many people, and that made it difficult for them to find that rhythm and that consistency. Maybe what you're talking about there with the cross-training uh, and the amount of substitutions that Ohio State was using in that game is, conf- you know, too much confusion. And one thing that we'd heard about you know, having Al Washington or when Jeff Halfley came or Kerry Combs with what he wanted to do with even a more diverse playbook, but still making it simple and to understand, yeah. you know, life is about this, but certainly football is with reps. And the more you do anything, the more comfortable you're going to be with all the responsibilities uh, and everything that goes into playing a position or doing any kind of job. So I think Ohio State is going to have to trust the guys that it picks to be their starters, which they're doing that for good reason. Like yes, The game-ready yes. stuff is great, and developing for the future is also important. I, I get all of that. But if you're going to win at the highest level, then your best players are going to have to be your most consistent, most reliable, and play the most. You're picking them for a reason to take the first snap. Maybe you should let them take the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth as well yeah. uh, until a game is in hand. So – I think that Taraja Mitchell is one of them. I, I suspect that Cody Simon uh, is going to play himself into one of those roles. Tommy Eichenberg, I think you know, he played a solid game, missed a couple of tackles, maybe missed a couple of assignments. You can chalk that up as well to a first time doing it. I think he's going to be part of that. 
Um, Dallas Gant, I don't know if if injuries con- concerned are still a part of that. That he was a little bit up and down, inconsistent for me in that game. I don't know how. It doesn't even matter like who they pick. I'm not. It's not up to me. But Al Washington, Kerry Combs, they need to determine who they think are the best, and then just let them go do it and get comfortable out on the field. Yeah, I mean, bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, I know you know this, but I'll throw show, talk about the obvious anyway. The interesting thing about college football is that first game is both is a combination of a game that counts on your ledger and also a preseason game where you're trying to find out whether some people are big time ready. You know, the NFL has three preseason games now. You used to have four. Hell, back in the day, you used to have six. Are you kidding me? <laughs> six. Can you imagine that? Awesome. No, I can't. Uh, Going into a 14 or 12 or 14 game season, that was nuts. But uh, uh, <laughs> should have had the best on the field by that point, right? But the bottom well, line yeah. is, and then and what Awesome was talking about there was the fact that you try to combine uh, a lot of things into that first game. You want to see who can play, who responds to adversity, and everything else. The funny thing about it is, Awesome it was in retrospect, I think Ohio State had almost a perfect first game in that regard of getting a ton of people on the field. Uh, maybe too many, as you pointed out, because let a guy take a deep breath and play a few possessions, right, and find out whether uh, it was hyperventilation that caused that, that caused him to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but you're right. But the, that's that little game that coaches have to play. And I think Ohio State, I think Brian Day and these coaches know so much more about this team than they did a week ago. Agreed? Yeah, without a doubt. And I just think, look – Day has said this, and I know that he's aware of it. They broke this into a, a basically a two-game phase, two-game season, start with Minnesota and Oregon. So those they knew they were going to be tough chat, tests. They weren't, you know, Tulsa and Akron or any other tune-up games that they got to work through things. That's why it's just surprised me that they did as much substituting early in that first half as they did because Minnesota was – capable of making that a game they did they led twice as you said and forced Ohio State to come from behind now the talent advantage when Ohio State is rolling is it was hugely significant and they I they think they knew they could pull away at any point um, so maybe that fueled that a little bit like, all right we have to experiment because Oregon is going to be better than Minnesota and you can you can argue with that and quibble with that they did didn't wind up hurting them on Thursday night so it's a little bit of the best of all worlds for a coaching staff where they found out that information, all those people that missed the reps from last year because of the COVID situations and practices and all that that we've talked about, they got that, they got uh, you know good evaluation, good reps, experiment, and experience to go into this Oregon game. Plus, the regulars also had some things that they didn't do as well as they would have wanted to. So you have teaching points and a 14-point win. Like, Really, a coach would take all of that every single time, I think, from an opener. Yeah. You had a guy make an observation to me, too, though, before we leave uh, and before we give our last quote, little thoughts about the Ohio State-Oregon game, the matchup. Uh, maybe Denzel Burke is – maybe he should be considered among the – like you said, among the three, but maybe there's more competition at that starting – starting quarterback spots than we gave it credit for. I mean – just in a brief nutshell, answer. Give me an answer. Give me a give me an observation on that. I I think I might agree with that. Uh, I think that he you'd put him ahead of Ryan Watts at this point. What I saw from a healthy healthy 
pitch count Cam Brown and some of those glimpses we had, he he looked like an elite cornerback to me. And I just think back to that whenever that was, week two, and they had the throwing sessions and Cam Brown back-to-back plays, back-to-back passes broken up, you know, one on Julian Fleming, one coming across the middle to bat away, a ball away from Marvin Harrison. Those are burned into my mind. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's uncertainty with those top two, but Kerry Combs, before he left for Tennessee, used to get on us all the time and say, why are you not calling Denzel Ward a starter? We have three starters here. Yeah. Uh, that's how we view it. So in that regard, I think you can say that Denzel Burke is probably in position to be an Ohio State starting cornerback. I think in terms of reps, he would be third, but you just don't know because Ohio State had enough concern to make sure that Cam Brown was healthy for Oregon that they didn't even let him travel. And there was enough concern with Seven Banks as he recovers from his own injury that he was suited up but didn't play a snap. So, you know, it's not 100%. And over the course of a year, you're going to have injuries anyway. Um, one, I guess the point is Denzel Burke is going to play in a meaningful role against Oregon one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. By the way, I'm, I'm, all, I'm still in a quandary why – I'm scratching my head as I do this, Austin. <laughs> why uh, Seven Banks wasn't listed as a game-time decision because clearly – in my opinion, clearly he was, or they already knew he wasn't going to play, but he was on the trip. You know, you follow my drift there? Yeah. I mean. Especially if you're waiting now until three hours before kickoff. Right. Available or unavailable. You know, that seems pretty clear cut to me, you know. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of is, is. Uh, <laughs> real quick, uh, Clemson, Georgia, if you like defense, ridiculous game. Uh, suddenly Clemson's clawing its way back as – as Debo Sweeney said after the game, you know, all of our goals are still ahead of us. Yeah, if some other guys get beat, that's why. That's what I said about it, because uh, you don't have the schedule to back up anything now, except that you can win the uh, you can win the ACC. <laughs> uh, Georgia, what a win! The only touchdown in that game with two highly touted quarterbacks. The only touchdown in that game was a pick six yeah. by Georgia, which you leave with questions about them about their offense. Uh, to a certain extent, but uh, that's what you get in openers like that. But what what was the most surprising development from the weekend of all of the AYOs from your uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I think that Clemson just completely disintegrating on the offensive line. I, I don't yes. I don't really have an explanation for it because they when when we have these conversations about Ohio State's recruiting level, it is Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Georgia at the top of that list like Georgia Georgia showed that other than some maybe some issues at wide receiver uh, lack lack of imagination is not a new thing for Georgia offensively so I would I wouldn't consider that a surprise but Clemson's inability to run the football at all against you know like Georgia has good personnel that's great Clemson is supposed to be a national title contender and you rush for two yards uh, you know I don't get it we saw what Ohio State did uh, up front against them in the Sugar Bowl. They absolutely manhandled those guys, and that was with Jackson Carmen out there for Clemson. You know, they don't have that. They lost a, a, was a second-round draft pick uh, at left tackle. Right. Um, I don't know what they're going to do to protect it. Yeah, Etienne's in the – you know, Travis Etienne's gone. I mean, who's – yeah. You would have thought – yeah, you would have thought the way that they've recruited that they would have capable linemen or someone who could run the football for them uh, to replace Travis Etienne, and there were no no signs of that. And now, look, they're going to steamroll 
basically everybody else on their schedule in the ACC. That league is not anywhere near good enough to compete man for man with that roster. But um, I don't, and I don't know enough specifics about when it might happen. I'll just give Spencer credit for this. When we left last week, he said he, he thought Georgia would beat Clemson and that Clemson would lose to NC State by the end of the month and have two losses. And I kind of thought that that sounded a little far-fetched, but he may have been onto something there because uh, that Clemson team has problems, and I'm not sure that just playing ACC teams will solve them. Yeah, you thought uh, you thought Glue Man Spencer was uh, had too much of uh, anticipation getting to the brew pub on, on his mind. Right. I mean, yeah. Then you look at North Carolina. You know, their other their other gleaming uh, beacon there, and uh, what happened to them at Virginia Tech. I mean, and then you look at uh, you know the Florida State Notre Dame game. Florida State showed so much game. Pardon the pun in that game coming back, but then ultimately losing it. Uh, but I'm not sure about the ACC at this point. This is a knee-jerk reaction, obviously, you know, to it. But look at the as a uh, as a uh, Jared Denny and I talked about. Look at the Pac-12 North. Oh my goodness, you cool. know, Washington loses to Montana. It may lose to another team that starts with them this week. You know, that'll well, that'll really show them where their program is. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just joking. But hey, uh, both of those programs really need that win. Like hey, that. Yeah, I'm just joking, sort of. But the only team from the Pac-12 North that won a game was uh was Oregon. And it struggled against Fresno, Fresno State, which is coming in. But yeah, right on down the line, there are all these. And meanwhile, Alabama kept on rolling. I mean, it was that was a clinic in how to start a season. Agreed. They seem to uh, have one of those ready every single year. I would never want to sign up for an opener against Nick Saban. You agreed with me, right? They're always playing these teams. Uh, it seems like with a name. I don't know why I got to, got so excited there suddenly, but I was telling a buddy of mine that. They're with a name that may be just a year away from being living up to that name again, like USC a few years ago. And uh, I mean, that's, I, I don't know if they, if, if they're geniuses at doing that, or if that's just the way it happens, but <laughs> Alabama, Miami looked pretty good on paper, but no, it was not pretty good. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's a part of the, you know, broadcast plan, Voters wanting week one to be important. Hey, national writers, hey, make sure you send me to this game. It's Alabama, Miami. It's huge. I got to be there. Like, yeah, let's let's pump up this team and give them a ranking that maybe they don't deserve. I'm not going to go too far into the conspiracy theories. That's not my normal yeah. uh, normal lane. But I do think there's a little something to that. And you're like, wow, oh, okay. Well, if they beat Alabama in week one, Miami would be a top ten team for sure, or top five team. Let's. Let's just hedge the bet a little bit and put them there just in case. And if they lose, hey, no problem, because we're just going to say that Alabama is the best team in the country anyway. Okay, let's be honest. Let's get done with this, with, with this last topic. Uh, with that in mind, how big of a game is this Saturday, Ohio State versus Oregon? Does it fall more into what we were just talking about? Or do you feel Oregon is a – I think Oregon – don't get me wrong. I think they're, they're a legit – uh, uh, legit opponent, legit contender in the Pac-12, but is Oregon, do you think, as good as the name would say? I don't, and I think that this game is bigger for Oregon and bigger for the Pac-12 than it is for Ohio State. I'm not suggesting that uh, Ohio State would accept a loss or that it meets the standard, but I think that they would. we've seen this before with a Week 2 team uh, with a new quarterback and 
retooling things that you have time to bounce back for that. Now, I'm, again, Clemson will have that same opportunity as well, but I don't think that Clemson's schedule matches up with what Ohio State still has ahead of it. This is not you know, setting up an excuse or anything like that. Ohio State is the better team. They're playing at home. The horseshoe is going to be full for the first time in you know two years. Um, this is a game that they should win. I think that they should win it uh, pretty comfortably as well. But it, in terms of the national landscape, I don't believe it will be as important for the Buckeyes as it is for Oregon. And we can effectively, because of what you just talked about, in week one for the Pac-12 and the other losses that they suffered across the board, you're in this situation already where you can just rule out the entire conference if Ohio State handles its business the way uh, that it that it might uh, on new at noon on Saturday in the Shield. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that was me playing the playing the role of lawyer, asking a question <laughs> of the witness that I knew the answer to. Just wanted to hear it put into the public purview. Uh, with that said, the uh, stenographer says she's run out of paper. Uh, court stenographer, uh, awesome. So uh, you know. Until next week, uh, and in, by the way, enjoy this Ohio State-Oregon game. It, it, it's going to be interesting no matter how it goes down. Most of all, is Ohio State defense going to come to play and play uh, for 60 minutes and get after these guys? Uh, but until uh, we start to do the autopsy on that game and look forward to these kind of a slide <laughs> into the what, what, what should be preseason games, this is Tim May for Awesome Ward in the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.